Good morning, listeners. This is PWGC's Environmental Echo Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Boyce, CEO and President of PWGC. Uh, today, we've got, a, as always, but uh, today is something that's really interesting. We've got the, the topic is going to be a, you know, a soil wash plant, which I'm sure a lot of you guys may not even know what that is or have had the opportunity to find out, but we're going to educate you on it. So it's going to be a very, very interesting, exciting topic. And we've got a couple of great guests, but before I get into their intros, I just want to mention the best way to reach us is through our website, which is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcasts. If you guys have questions, comments, ideas, thoughts, or topics for future podcasts and want to reach us, that's the way to do it. We're generally very responsive to that. So again, just hit us up on the po- uh, the website podcast app there and we're all set to go. But hopping right into today's guest, we've got uh, Rob Robert Tassie from Pasilico. Um, and he's been working at the wash plant now for, oh gosh, it's been open for a little while. Yep, yep. We are uh, in our fourth full, of, full year of it's, operation. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, I know. Time's, uh, you know, it's really flown. And you, you've been working for Pasilico in various capacities for nearly 10 years now. Yep. Um, but at the wash plant, you've been there for how long? For the full four years? or Yeah, it was uh, actually, it goes back to when we first started designing the plant. And this, this wash plant, this soil wash plant, which listeners, you guys are going to find all about, is located in Farmingdale here in Long Island, which is basically situated on the border of Nassau and Suffolk counties. Uh, so it's pretty central to the island. Um, but Rob, you've, as you mentioned, you've not only been involved with the wash plant, but you've been involved in numerous capacities with Pasilico, uh, including facility design and development. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. And my other guest who we've uh, is my esteemed colleague, Mr. Chris Omskog, who is a senior vice president at PWGC. Uh, and he heads up our environmental compliance division, uh, also with Marianne, who's not here today. Um, but he's he's works extensively with construction materials clients across New York, including Pasilico. Uh, so, Chris, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank also. you very much. Very excited to be. Here. And you've been with us. Oh my gosh, you started out as an intern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since, since uh, it's been 20, decades, twenty-five plus years. Yep. It has been yep. a long time. So it's been, I've, and I've known you since we were in, I don't know, high school, junior high. So it's a very easy wow. to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a real long time. So guys, welcome and thank you thank for joining you. me yes, today. Thank you. Um, so Robert, what's your, your main role and what else have you done in the past? Can you elaborate a little bit for us? Sure. So, uh, you know, like Chris, I started out as an intern. Um, that was back in 2013. I was doing quality control for our asphalt uh, production, right? So um, making sure that the asphalt that we're making for our customers is, you know, meeting all the specs that we have to meet, and, uh, you know, any deviations that, you know, we make the adjustments on the plant and, and get the products where they need to be. Um, I started doing that. I spent some time in New York City doing deep foundations, drilling, uh, estimating for private development jobs. That w- that's for our New York City division. And then uh, I moved out to Long Island after I graduated. I went to Manhattan College, um, graduated in fourteen and started with engineering services. So at the time, it was a new division within the company, um, right out of our Farmingdale office. And basically what we focused on was the development and management of our facilities and assets. So now that we've got a little bit about your background, about the company's background, what's a wash plant? So to um, soil washing is not a new technology, right? So um, what soil washing is, is what we're really doing is we're screening material and we're separating and sorting out different particle sizes. We're using water to help us. That's where the washing part comes in. So dry screening and as well as wet screening, 
these technologies have been around forever. It's the application that is a little bit unique in our in our situation. Um, you go to you know any of the sand pits or a gravel pit. Every one of them is going to have a, a wash plant uh, to help separate that raw material out into the sellable products that they're uh, you know that they're trying to move. What we decided to do was take soil washing from more of an environmental standpoint and apply it to recyclable materials that were, at the time, going for disposal in landfill. So you've got soil. What are the components of soil? You've got gravel, sand, and silt and clay. So the washing process, all we're really doing at a very you know, high, uh, highly precise level is separating out those components. So the sands and the gravels, those are just inert materials that have a, a value in the construction industry. The silts and clays, that's the organic uh, fraction of the, of the material. So that's where you're going to get your contamination. Um, you know, any the silts and the clays are, are hard to reuse uh, beneficially as is. But they only make up a small fraction of the overall, you know, uh, the overall volume of the material. So we're... What we see here in our region is approximately 15% is clay and silt. The remaining 85% of the material is gravel and sand. So we're able to, we're able to extract those products, clean them up to uh, our, you know, our state environmental standards, and then now we have products that we can now repurpose and resell for, for beneficial use into the market. So... We, in other words, some of the stuff you guys actually wash is contaminated material, mm -hmm. correct? So you, yes. you might get it from a, a brownfields or a, 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 some sort of waste site where the stuff is, you know, if you don't do something with it, as, as you pointed out, it's going to a landfill. Is that the only type of product you guys work with, or do you work with, like, virgin clean stuff and, and separate that out too? We do. Um, there's – it's it's um, not as competitive of a, of a, you know, waste stream to go after for us um, – because you know the you know our operation, we, we do have operational costs, um, so we do need to cover those with with revenues, and it's all about the price of something is determined by what someone's willing to pay for it, right? So if you've got fifteen different people, all all saying yes, I can take that clean, you know, yeah, non contaminated, uh, screen sellable, reusable material, then it gets a lot harder to compete. Sounds like you guys use a lot of water, uh, mm -hmm. and I got to imagine you're not just once through with this water. You get you're recycling it, you're reusing it. Yes. Um, so, like one cubic yard or one ton of soil when it comes in, how many gallons does it take to, to process it? Do you guys have a, a ratio? Uh, yeah, or? there's a rough ratio. It's it's if for every, let's see, the rates are I process about 300 tons an hour through the plant of dry soil, right, and that gets treated with about 6,000 gallons a minute of treated water. Wow. But again, <laughs> yeah. again, it's recycled water. The, it it's is. It's a closed-loop system. Exactly. It's a, it's a yep. closed-loop. It's actually net add because you do have some moisture loss. If it's an outdoor operation. Sure. You know, summertime, it's hot. We're getting evaporation. You get um, residual moisture in the product. So it's a net add system. So what are we doing um, we have a connection to the to the local city water. Um, we try to minimize the consumption of, of new water. That's where I was going with this. Especially yeah. right now we're in a drought and everything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So six thousand gallons a minute, people are gonna whoa. We also have um, 
basically it's a 75,000 square foot footprint of the plant that is a fully contained, uh, basically it's a spill containment area. And uh, what it does is two things. Provides secondary containment for our whole plant. So if anything were to ever, you know, knock on wood, if you had, had something like a happened, sure. cat- catastrophic rupture or something where, you, you know, you have a massive release of water, we're not discharging that out into uh, basically into the groundwater. So it's all, co- you know, collected, contained, and piped back into our treatment system. This way we're, there's no real loss of, of contaminants out. So um, it's an outdoor operation. That 75,000 square feet get, gets rained on. So over the course of the year, we're rec- recycling between 4 and 5 million gallons of stormwater that come in. Another source of, uh, of water for us, actually last year in, in 21, we opened up uh, what's called a hydro tip. And this is a new kind of system. Instead of loading the dirt in dry, we're now able to inject wet liquid slurry that comes from like vac trucks. You know, it's, if they're cleaning out storm storm drains on the side of the road, or they're servicing oh, wow. a directional drilling that's project. Really, that's that's really good. Right. So like, guys going to unclog a drain, he's got now a, a, a truck full of sediment and water. Right. So it's very hard to handle. In the past, we had like almost no capacity for this because we are, we're on a small site, around four acres. Um, so we put in this equipment that we we helped design to basically directly unload the vac truck and then we dewater the, the solids right in the system and we consume the water. Wow. Uh, right so what, I mean, sometimes in those vac trucks, you might get like water bottles and a lot oh, of yeah. leaves and cigarette butts. And sure. I assume you guys screen all that out, right? I think that's a big, big portion of, of you, know, you guys took a big step and a big, not a, a gamble. I mean, cause it was, it was a really new process to the area and you're basically taking what, what is your, at the end, the end disposal ratio is it 10 15 percent yeah okay so historically for brownfields or cleanups you know you'd be loading trucks and and the soil disposal was generally the the highest cost and and one of the biggest time consuming issues with with remedial sites so you kind of basically took out a lot of the trucking that would drive through the city drive out of state the materials leaving the area now you're taking that and only 10 to 15 percent of what normally would go to a landfill is going to landfill and you're making beneficial products that go back into the industry you know there is there's still sand mining and quarrying and things like that but the need for those materials is so great that this you know the technology and and you guys doing it puts material that otherwise end up in a landfill back into circulation which is which is huge right yeah and i don't consider ourselves competitors with um the sand mines and even the landfills, uh, just because it, it's. I look at it more like from a value engineering standpoint, right? So like, the landfill isn't. They they don't care either way whether you take in material that's a hundred percent belongs in the landfill or fifty percent belongs in the landfill. Um, it's, it's it's just not really for the Farmingdale plant. It, and even for our new New Jersey facility, we're not really competing with the landfills. It's the other recyclers that you compete against. Um, and same thing for the sand mines. The sand mines, there's always going to be a place for the sand mines because you're always going to have a need for the high-end structural concrete, right? That's 
75% of all concrete made is non-structural, right? So there's 25% that's going into high rises and deep foundations um, where the specs are tight. The material has to be, uh, you know, source number approved material. That's not who we're competing against. You know, we're going after the 75% of non-structural concrete that gets produced that doesn't necessarily need material that's coming from a finite resource. You Sidewalks know? or curbs, perfect example of that it doesn't need this. It's not a bridge deck. You know? Exactly, exactly. Are you guys doing servicing a lot of like municipalities with street sweepings and and uh, is is that kind of that is growing? a new um, a new initiative of ours yeah. is the street sweepings. Um, now that we have this hydro tip, it makes it it makes it so much easier for us because of the capacity that went you know cap- capacity went way up in the past. Handling the the street sweepings and and dredge waste too is another. Is another big ah, issue. Oh, there you go, Chris. Now he's talking. Time. Yeah, talking your game. <laughs> yep, it, which is a very tricky thing to get rid of with regulations in it place, is. and it's going to get trickier and trickier. Well, and, and you can figure out a way to reuse that stuff. If, man, I oh know. man, home run. I know. Yeah, the uh, ask any of the any of the marine guys. The, the costs are astronomical. We know we're and, heavily involved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. Maybe our listeners don't know. But <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So th- that's. There's always, as as disposal costs go up, and as supply of new, you know, new material, as those costs go up, there's a lot more room for innovation and and new processes that maybe in the past weren't as financially feasible. Yeah, well, it's and you guys said you're doing about 300 tons an hour, mm-hmm. and so how many hours a day does the the facility operate? I don't think I could move the material fast enough out the door, you know, to the point right. where I have like a log jam of of material that I can't get rid of. Um, so it's standard, uh, business hours, like an eight hour day. Yeah. Eight to 10, eight to 10 hours. So we're doing maybe 24 to 3000, 2400 to 3000 tons a day. Mm -hmm. That's still a good chunk of material. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's significant. (laughs) It's significant. And it it really benefits the jobs that are on small footprints. So they can't stockpile material and the jobs that are under time crunch and they got to get rid of it. Either way, you know. And you guys, you know, if the plant's been around for four years, has it been processing at that rate for four years, or did it ramp up? And did you guys see a slowdown during the pandemic or anything? We've ramped up um, gradually. It, the throughput of the plant is always going to depend on the material you're putting into it. So um, it really just depends on what's out in the market. We talked about as, you know, the, sort of the, the byproducts or the waste products, right? So, <coughs> excuse me. Is there, like, a limit to, like, the level of contamination you get? I know you can't take like oil soaked soil or something crazy like that, but what's the cutoff? How do you guys decide, yes, we can process this or no, that's too much for our facility. What's the, what's the limits here? So the limited, uh, the, the limit per our permit is we can take anything up to non-hazardous material, right? So as long as it's not hazardous, we are allowed to take it in. Do we want to deal with all of it is a totally different question, um, and the answer is no. We 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 don't have. We're not just accepting anything from anywhere. Uh, to me, one of the most important factors is the geotech, right? Your sieve analysis. The percent passing the number two hundred sieve, which is, is basically the cut point between fine sand and mud and clay. That is what drives the cost. 
from an environmental uh, standpoint, we had to realize that the percentage of fines is also going to dictate how hot my my waste product is oh, going to yeah. be. So I don't want to inadvertently take something in that's going to create hazardous maybe a waste. hazardous waste, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, we we the sweet spot for us are the jobs that are are contaminated, but not grossly contaminated. Are there any contaminants you guys totally avoid, like metals? Yeah, or there's it? one. There's um, there's a handful. Uh, hexavalent chromium is one, and the reason is because we know that if you tried to put material that's contaminated with hex chrome through the plant, that compound would basically present itself in the water, right? So there's an issue with that. If I'm recycling all the water, I don't want to be recontaminating the products. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So there's there's a a short list of, um, you know, things like, you know, chlorinated solvents we want to stay away from. Um, You know, some levels of PCBs, we, we have like, a, a pretty tight limit on that that we don't that we don't uh, really stray from. It also depends on the volume of the job too, um, because that'll dictate how easy or difficult it is to actually remove the contaminants. So then, when you guys do have the, the waste product, right? Yeah. What do you do with it? Okay, so every 800 yards of material that comes out of the filter press, this is what dewaters the mud in the slurry that that we extract. Every 800 yards we're sampling. Um, when the results come back, we are uh, assessing where can this material go, right? Typically, it's going to just one or two disposal sites, um, but they are out of state. Um, but it's a waste, you know, it's a profile. They know what the waste stream is. It's consistent material. The, the difference is there's going to be variations in the, in the analytical. Um, but the geotech is all perfectly consistent coming out of the plant. So they know what you know they they know what the challenges are with dealing with the material itself. It's just we you know we go through the regulatory uh review process with them going out of state the regulations are different. You ship it by truck or rail or Yeah, we right now we go by truck. Okay. Yeah. So the goal for us ultimately is is to have zero waste. Um any waste or any product that goes out we want to make sure that we're getting it to its destination in a sustainable way as well. So we do have um, access to rail. Rail really only pays right now if you're traveling more than 400 miles away. So if if I have a site that's just over, you know, in New Jersey, it, it's actually cheaper to truck it there than it is to send it to Jersey by rail. However... If you'd r- run into a situation where, and I've seen this typically with other types of materials that we don't, that we kind of stay away from, if the material needs to go out to a landfill in Ohio or, you know, Western PA, rail it starts to starts to get attractive. All right, that's interesting, very interesting. As far as the finished reusable products, the gravel, the pea gravel, and so on, are you seeing just with the market development market any any trends or changes that you've seen as far as contractors requesting or, or even silico internally that that uh you know that, that you guys are trying to make and and kind of make those blends with with the uh wash plant yeah yeah so um basilico civil um is, is catching on i think you know we've been 
educating and, and training people on the resources that they have available to them. Um, all we've kind of centralized our purchasing and stuff like that. So like all the material requisitions that come in from the field come through somebody in the materials division now. And so now, it, you know, it's a lot of integration and um, cross-selling and making sure that we're getting the best price. You know, sometimes it, it makes more sense to buy from somebody else if the trucking is, you know, there's always going to be a difference in the trucking. Mm-hmm. Tru- trucking drives a lot of the costs so, uh, and the decision-making. So, um, yeah, for the end market development, we're, we have like a steady base of customers. Commercial concrete is, um, you know, what a lot of people are using the recycled aggregates for because, you know, they are cleaned aggregates. Um, they are not coming from a mine. There is some variability. But when you have uh, a mix and you only need to hit 3,000 PSI in the concrete, so we can use these for, like, leaching pool rings or a oh, catch yeah, basin yeah, or something. Yeah. People are using that all, all day long. That's what I figured. Like it, a it, precast plant would love you guys. Yes, yes. The um, And then even on the civil side, after, you, after you've installed the, the basins, you've got, you know, gravel pits and fields and drainage fields and stuff. The, the material is getting consumed in that market mm-hmm. as well. Okay. So um, for me to just wrap up, maybe, Chris, you have another question or two. Um, the, the plan itself, I mean, it sounds like it's doing great. Any ideas or concepts maybe to expand or, or build more? Uh, you know, we, we know the Infrastructure and Investment and Jobs Act is still hanging out there, which will be probably a huge boom for the construction industry, engineering alike. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, no, it's uh, the outlook is, is positive for sure. We're, um, we're watching over this bill as well, um, making sure, it, you know, it, it's going to have a big impact on everything we do, us, you guys, everyone. Um, yeah, the goal is is always to continue to grow, but grow responsibly, right? So one of the main coincidences, let's call it, of of this operation in this location is it, it's kind of a perfect storm of geology and geography as it relates to the economics of everything, right? So you're on Long Island. Where are you going to go to dispose contaminated soil? Off Long Island. So you got to cross the bridges. The trucking costs go way up. If you want to keep the material on the island and you want to bring it to the wash plant, well, native Long Island soil is is perfect for a washing uh, operation in general because it's a relatively low silt content high sand and gravel content, and the quality of the sand is... It's excellent. Top notch. (laughs) Absolutely. So, um, yeah, that doing this on Long Island is... is An ideal place to... It's an ideal ideal place. Exactly. If you tried to do this, say, in South Carolina or North Carolina where everything is clay, well, you're going to spend a boatload of money on very advanced equipment to generate waste for you. Right, so not get a whole lot of return on exactly. Exactly, the yield is is very high for so, us. So, so Rob, you said you you know you're limited to a four acre site. Is there any possibility to increase your throughput there in the future, or or expand the site or facility? Yeah, I mean, because I I see this as a real you know win for you guys and and the environment. Yeah. So, um, we actually I spent a lot of time just uh, at the 
at different facilities and looking at process, looking at throughput, looking at where's my bottleneck, where can I elevate that, and how can I create a new bottleneck with a higher capacity. So, um, <laughs> like, you always want to have one, and then when you run out of solutions, then you, you got a pretty optimized process. Um, I am I am looking into uh, some ways to increase the throughput. Um, I know I have a lot of extra capacity for gravel, right? So if I can get the throughput up, say it's 400 tons an hour, the gravel end is not going to suffer because it's, it's already all the equipment's already in place to handle that volume. Um, right now my choke point is on my sand production. So I'm looking at some ways to maybe add a piece of equipment or uh, modify some things we have just to elevate and, and keep improving. Wow. Well, I'm, uh, Chris, I got one last question, and it, it really has to do with this is a mechanical process, right? You've you got to have breakdowns, and do you have redundancy built into this? I mean, how do you keep going if, like, a key piece of equipment needs to be serviced or replaced or repaired? What do you do? Yeah, so over the years, we've built redundancy in. Okay, so when we first started the plant, um, you know, because you could go around to all these different facilities that are out there. We traveled around. We saw some some plants that were in action. But you don't really experience uh, what those people experience on a daily basis, right? So you can go and you can take a tour and, and see. Um, but what you really want to see is what happens when it hits the fan. And we've learned, not the hard way, but we've learned um, just through experience that when something goes down, when we first started the plant, it had zero redundancy. So if anything went down, if a, if a sensor went bad, you know, there's, there's 500 sensors on the plant. Um, if any of the conveyor belts had any issues, if you know, if the pump wasn't working, right, oh, yeah. the, the list goes on and on, things that could put you down. Um, but just by paying attention to detail kind of and, and picking the process apart, we are able to, um, we're able to find ways to modify some things. And basically the plant that we have now is very different from the one that uh, you guys started with started four years with. ago, huh? Yeah, in a good way, in a good way. Sure. It's all, it's all you know, running um, just temporary solutions to uh, to immediate problems sometimes become permanent solutions uh, and, and you eliminate the problems, right? So yep. certain things you need, to, you need to plan for. Well, what prompted this question is you mentioned the show Gold Rush, and half that show was those guys dealing with issues like that. Exactly, so, exactly. So those I love the show. My wife hates it. Yeah, so. <laughs> same here. <laughs> yeah, no, they're extremely creative. Um, you know, got to like stop focusing on, you know, what is this issue that's holding me up right now, and focus more on the big picture. Like, how do I, how do I produce? What am I producing and what quality am I producing? How fast am I producing? Some things, some of the redundancy we built in, you know, like we have a, a certain bypass system where uh, if one piece of equipment goes down, we can run the plant in this bypass mode. However, uh, you run it at a slower tonnage, right? So y while you're still kind of producing just at a lower rate, it's buying you time to, you know, get the parts that you need and get the service and get the solution that you need really cool a lot of moving parts yeah chris you <laughs> want to before we wrap up just about the regulatory agencies involved obviously mm -hmm. you know i heard dec was very behind this and, and you know for rightfully so what do you see as far as either regulations coming down the pike or, or 
the relationship with regulators and, and trying to, one, one thing that I see is, you know, I'd like to work more with DEC to try and figure out solutions for things like dredge spoils for more beneficial reuse uh, options. And, you know, sometimes for certain reasons, they're a little rigid and, and um, you know, what do you see as far as regulations, as far as affecting your industry and, and what you're putting through? Um, I think it's, I think it's beneficial, you know, for the most part, you know, the regulations going through, but things like emerging contaminants and, and different uh, low levels of, of um, acceptable soil contamination. What do you think? How do you think the regulations and your your um, relationship with the regulators, you know, is going to affect business and going forward? Yeah. So one thing that, that you know, we always applaud the uh, DEC about, as you guys know, they've been revising uh Part 360 regulations for um, a number of years now. One of the things that I love about the efforts they're making is is how they open it up for public comment. And uh, you know, we've got one of our senior engineers who's you know he spearheads um, our basically our correspondence with the DEC as it relates to the updated regulations. So number one, the fact that they're updating them is it, it, when was the last time that it was updated? Nineteen ninety one. They've gone through, yeah. Right. So they're they recognize that we have regulations that are a little antiquated. They need updating. Um, you know, I, you guys remember the whole uh, Operation Pay Dirt, and um, you know that kind of sparked uh, you know a lot of change within the industry. So I think it's it's good to get with the times. Um, you know, use industry for feedback. Rob, anything you want to add before we wrap up for the day? No, um, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, this is uh, this is always good. And it was great you know, to have you. Anytime really you want to come out to see the, see the plant, uh, be happy to show you guys around. We would love a tour. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, we'll take you up on that. That's great. You've always been very good with, with uh, you know, I've seen it showing the industry, engineers, consultants, politicians, and trying to educate. And that, that I think that is you know, huge, huge in, in your favor, just because educating, you know, educating the people what how this happens, how it works, and the benefits, just, you know, help help make the regulators kind of understand this and understand the importance, too. So I applaud you guys for that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that's what we got today for you, folks. So uh, I do want to thank our, our guest again, Rob Tassi with Pasilico. He's a manager of the soil wash plant in Farmingdale, and Chris Omskog, a senior vice president at PW Grocer, uh, heads our Environmental Compliance Division, and myself, your host, Paul Boyce, CEO and President of PWGC. I, again, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. And, and again, to reach us, www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. This is the Environmental Echo, and we're signing off for today. Thanks for listening. Thank you.